All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, a man that I would imagine knows what an atmospheric river is. Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Why don't you get me? Why don't you understand me? I have no idea what an atmospheric ri- river I just figured because you are the foremost expert on the state of California and the city of Los Angeles on this podcast that you would be aware of the weather phenomenon that is not only common but in some ways vital to the ecosystem out in California. I'm a little stunned. Yes, yes, I I am guilty. If you ever watch the weather channel or watch the weather portion of the news in L.A., there's about eight different regions that they cover. And it's about half the news. So, yes, I've checked out at a certain point in time. What is an atmospheric river? So an atmospheric river is a weather feature uh, that's essentially a long plume of moisture in the atmosphere that stretches from the tropics or subtropics to higher latitudes. You may know the most famous one, um, Pineapple Express, which is a moisture band that lines up near Hawaii and goes to the U.S. West Coast. And I, know essentially- I, know that, I know that as a weed strand. Yeah, it's it's where the weed strands name came from, I would imagine. Oh, interesting. But 
Yeah, they come over. They bring uh, a ton of, uh, if it stalls over land, there can be a lot of rainfall, which is what's happening in uh, L.A. and most of California, especially northern and central California. Tons of wind right now, but also incredibly beneficial because what happens at cold enough temperatures, it creates a ton of snowfall. Um, up in the Sierras, which ends up being great because the melting snowpack, snowpack is great for the water supply. Whew. How's a lot, Mike? I, I, uh, can I tell you what day it is? Sure, Brandon. <laughs> please tell me what day it is. It's National January 5th. It is National Whipped Cream Day and National Ooh. Bird Day. So... Talk about I, science. Only one of those are real. <laughs> and if you don't know which, get on the internet. Yeah, start start doing your own research. We got a great show for you guys today. Very excited. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders going to stop by and help us look ahead at Week 18 and the playoff implications and thus a little bit of the playoffs beyond that as we sort of start to line up the cards on this uh, for the home stretch of the NFL season. Uh, footballoutsiders.com, if you've never visited their site, we had Aaron on in the preseason, talked about the Almanac. They do a lot of great work. For those of you that are looking for an edge in gambling, they do a lot of great work on what is predictive and what is not in the world of football. I'm not saying that Football Outsiders is a metric that is used as a gambling tool. I'm just saying if you like to have a lot of information about your sport, which I know gamblers do, this might be a place that you can look to try and get an edge mike that is a lot of words to sum up that they produce football porn they do and aaron shots used to be a spring uh, spring break dj that's that's very close those uh those late night uh girls gone wild videos used to get me back in the day yeah, waking up in the middle of the night when you'd fallen asleep on the couch all of a sudden to that was uh <laughs> it was, a, a jarring rite of central. passage Comedy Central. Sometimes I set my alarm to try to wake up and catch it. Oh, dear God. Brandon, it's not November anymore. You don't get to do this. What you do get to do today, Brandon, is you get to help me help me play a game today. Because before we get to Aaron Shots, we had reached a point in this week where we had a bunch of things that we needed to get to, a bunch of very interesting words said by a lot of interesting people. So we want to play a game that you called Who's Who. You and I each mm. have three quotes that we are going to surprise the other with. You liken this to Colin Jost, uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che. On the weekend update on Saturday Night Live, I hope it is much less racially devastating for me in particular. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I didn't set you up in that way. Yeah, so uh, each of us has three quotes, and we are going to read that quote to the other, and we are going to give them two options for who that could be that are supposed to involve the use of the same, at least one part of the name in both yes. names. Mm-hmm. So. Brandon, uh, since this is your game, this is your idea, I want you to start us off with the first quote here uh, that we've got for this week. Okay, this is a little bit of a softball, but close to my heart, my Louisville ties. Damn, why did I just... Okay, let me let me reset and not give you a hint Snitching on yourself? I mean, you can't can't take the hint back now. I effed it up. Okay, here's the quote. Who's who? (laughs) Unfortunately... I will always get to carry that with me, how it ended there. Hurt a lot of people, let a lot of people down. End quote. Was that new Texas A&M offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino 
or mid-2000s R&B sensation Bobby Valentino? Well, um, I don't know if Bobby Valentino is from Louisville and thus would have a tie to you in such a way. So I am going to go <laughs> with former Louisville head coach uh, Bobby Petrino on that. Okay, well, I will say, though, I will say, though, in college, my sister dated Bobby Valentino, and he got her her first iPhone. So there was a connection there. What? Slow down. We'll get into that story later. <laughs> you let's, never we talk told about, me that. Can we talk about texting him? I'd like to, but now I know your sister dated Bobby Valentino, and I'm very confused about how in almost 16, 17, 15 years of friendship, this has never come up. Because in 09 or 2010, what is dating Bobby Valentino? You know what I mean? Like, that's a term you use when you meet him, and... <laughs> Just move on. Can we talk about Texas A&M? I wanted you to have to sit in that for a little bit. So, yeah, Bobby Petrino, this is a wild headline, um, is expected to be named the next offensive coordinator of Texas A&M, sources told ESPN. Uh, this is, in a football sense, noteworthy, as I'm sure Texas A&M fans are sort of like the Russell Westbrook eating the hot dog at the end of the bench meme on this because yeah. they have desperately after a five and seven season that's considered one of the bigger disappointments in modern college football after the recruiting class they had last year desperate for Jimbo Fisher to potentially relinquish the reins on play calling Jimbo's always called his own plays wherever he's been and with the kind of paychecks he's drawn there they can't move on from him and they can't really tell him what to do so this was not a guarantee by any stretch uh, Bobby Petrino had taken the job uh, under Barry Odom at UNLV less than a month ago as the offensive coordinator there after spending three seasons at Missouri State as their head coach at the FCS level. Um, Brandon, obviously, uh, Bobby uh, Petrino, famously known for at Arkansas, being fired in 2012 after lying about a motorcycle accident, riding with a female football staffer who he had hired and with whom he was also having an affair, leading to one of the most iconic pictures of the 21st century of Bobby Petrino giving that press conference in a neck brace at Arkansas. Or at, yes, uh, at uh, Louisville, sorry. Or, no, Arkansas, sorry. No, Arkansas, yeah, Arkansas. yeah Arkansas, you're yeah. right, you're right. Also, let's give respect, brought Arkansas and Louisville to fame. Uh, in the midst of doing all the craziness, Mike, uh, I showed Michelle that video, my wife, because uh, she hadn't seen it in preparation for the segment. Getting a chance to relive that was something, Mike, because I was recruited to Louisville from Bobby Petrino uh, when I was coming out of high school, but he was such a snake that he ran and took that job out of nowhere. No, he took the Falcons job out of nowhere. Oh. Then got left that job, took the Arkansas job. So I was actually got my offer from Steve Crackthorpe, uh, who had a small tenure at Louisville. But Bobby Petrino was so messy, he couldn't even stay at Louisville. Um, so it, it was uh, it's, it's something that he is landing boots on the ground. Now, obviously, he's successful, wins a lot of games, was like 65% winning percentage, and, and he just and he always calls the plays. So, yes, he is an offensive mind, but I just feel like he's an old offensive mind. Well, and that's something that uh, I saw Chris Vanini over at The Athletic point out. This does kind of show you that there were not – I mean, there's a lot of young names out there. People looking at the playoff right now, Garrett Riley is one of the young risers in college football, and certainly a number of other offensive names that apparently did not want to bite at this job at one of the 
premier schools as far as throwing money at things and having that opportunity in the SEC uh, yeah. that Texas A&M is. So kind of indicative of what the market there might have been, but also the desperation to try and write this thing. Because Brandon, he is not alone on this staff. DJ Durkin took over as the defensive coordinator last year. DJ Durkin, who was fired after the death of Jordan McNair, an offensive lineman when he was the head coach at Maryland, to a heat stroke, uh, also following a report uh documenting the toxic coaching culture around head coach DJ Durkin and his time at Maryland. Uh, he had taken the job as the co-defensive coordinator at Ole Miss prior to landing at Texas A&M, uh, as well as offensive line coach Steve Adazio, whose tenure at uh, Colorado State ended with uh, some accusations of some racially charged remarks that he made towards a janitor there, as well as uh, some other complaints about his coaching. This is a staff that reeks of the desperation of wanting to get this right at all costs because they do not seem concerned with any of the headlines associated with this or what it means to have a, you know this collection on their campus with these kind of accusations and things in their wake. This is a team that is desperate to go out here and get wins to justify all the money they've thrown at this football program. But if you're a parent that is preparing to get their child ready for the next level, how do you feel good getting them in the hands of these men who have forget about allegedly or what's real morality seems like could be a big issue with this and that, that's one of those things that football is not one of those places where you want to you're supposed to at least sell morality up front they're they are selling money that seems to be the sell of this program is what we've heard and the rumors about the NIL purses being handed out there. The money's going to coaching staff there. This is a whatever-it-takes kind of offseason for Texas A&M. That is the position they've been driven back to because of what happened over the course of last season. So again, from a football standpoint, Texas A&M fans, I'm sure are thrilled that Jimbo Fisher is at least acknowledging, hey, I might have played a role. in because We heard a lot of defiance about his offense not being the problem necessarily down the stretch of the season. So from if you were to just take off the names, Jimbo Fisher, a higher an offensive coordinator, would be considered growth. But there's certainly a lot more baggage that comes with that um, off of this hire. So that's the latest news out of Texas A&M. Uh, all right, Brandon, do I get to uh, do my quote next? Please. All right, Brandon. Here we go. The quote is, although no one knows the future, I think I will be coaching blank next year. Is that... Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh? <laughs> uh, that is Jim Harbaugh. And I have to say that he's going to lean towards the Michigan, the place he actually works right now. Yes. So I thought that might work just because right now, the last I saw of John Harbaugh at the podium was him dodging questions about Lamar Jackson's health heading into the postseason this year. And since we know Lamar Jackson did not sign an extension before this season, all of a sudden that tenure looks like it could be up in the air depending on how things go here. So I thought I had a chance to get you on that. But yes, this is Jim Harbaugh telling, um, I believe it is the uh, Queen City News that... Although no one knows the future, I think I will be coaching Michigan next year. Brandon, not exactly the ringing endorsement that Michigan fans may have been looking for. That is the sound, uh, to quote our friends at Silk Sonic, of leaving the door open. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the king of it. Because he can come in and out because he pays the bills. Uh, not to be step into any like type of toxic masculinity tropes, but 
he is uh, he's good at his job, and therefore he can say what he wants. Yeah, especially after the last two years. It is a long way away from 2020. He does not forget how everyone made him feel in 2020 when things weren't so hot. So now that mm. he has glowed up, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh is enjoying the chance to have his cake and eat it too, even if we think that statement's kind of bullshit. So uh, yes. that's sort of where we're at right now. We'll wait and see. Again, Broncos, Panthers, uh, and certainly the Indianapolis Colts that he played for all seem to be teams that could be uh, connected to Jim Harbaugh as we keep going here. Brandon, what's your second quote? Okay, second one coming up from me. Uh, who's who? Quote, That's not what I had in mind and what we had in mind as a team. Not the performance I envisioned. A lot of stuff I want back. Yeah, that was a tough one. Was that Carson Wentz, former starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders, or Kelly Clarkson, Winner of the first season of American Idol on Fox and host of the Kelly Clarkson show on NBC. So are you saying because Clarkson and Carson sound familiar? I'm asking you, was the quote that I read attributed to Carson Wentz or Kelly Clarkson? Oh, I'm going to be so much better at this game than you now. If you're already on fumes like this, I got you. Uh, this is Car- on fumes. This is Carson Who was Wentz. It? Okay. Carson Wentz. Okay. Carson Wentz. Okay. Yeah, you're Carson right. and Clarkson? This is like T-Pain rhyming mansion in Wisconsin. <laughs> well, I was going to attribute the quote to Ben Carson, but he seems a little dated, so I was trying to get somebody more relevant. Um, yes, yeah, so this is, um, <laughs> man, Washington, an interesting spot. So Sam Howell named the starter for Week 18. The quarterback position has turned into a bit of a mess there, to say yes. the least, after they bet on Carson Wentz this offseason. Um, but Brandon... Did you see uh, maybe the most important news surrounding all this? You talking about the Washington Commanders? Yes. Not not uh, not their head coach Riverboat Ron not knowing that they could be knocked out of the playoffs. No, not that. Uh, ironically okay. enough, they introduced their new mascot, Major Tutty. I cannot believe they did this. I can't believe they did this. This is like the first good thing they've done, and I don't know how long. I Good. I want I want to say I stand. I saw Chris Long and the guys over at the Greenlight Podcast be the first people I've seen to stand up and say, "No, Major Tutty is actually a good mascot," and I agree with them. I stand with the Greenlight Podcast. I I, I love that they're given a mascot that has a actual dad bod or like an offensive lineman of sorts. Yes, as, as this as the you know paying homage to the Hogs and and you know Stink and everyone else. Like yes, I respect that. But what the command? What, bro? We don't have enough pig mascots. Plain and simple, we are lacking in commercially viable pigs on sidelines. Oh, I mean, it looks like Porky's cousin. Yes, he's gonna bring home the bacon. Oh my god! Actually, that would be cannibalism. You can't do that. We're all hey. We don't know how the other species get down. I'm just saying, man, as someone who's made an internet living dealing out thick sixes to the masses and celebrating big people doing wonderful things, I couldn't in good conscience go out here and not support Major Tutty, which is also an awesome name. I feel like if they're smart. Now, I don't know if this is still popular among college-age college age frat guys, but wearing like alternative jerseys to frat parties, I feel like a major mm. tutty Washington Commanders jersey would do numbers at a frat party okay, but, in the summer. 
I don't want to like step on the joke, but like, what's what's tutty? I would assume like a touchdown, like a tutty. Oh, okay, an offensive lineman. Okay, but I have a, I do wish that they would have cast it better. Just like there's plenty of of obese plump people around. Just get somebody with a tummock to put the the pig mask on. Like, let's not get a skinny guy to wear a fat suit. Well, I mean, he does have to do a lot of activity during the game, so you're kind of at, you're kind of threading a small needle if you're looking to find a Chris Farley who is both large and fluffy, but also incredibly dynamic as an athlete. Most of those guys are playing on Sundays in these <laughs> I was games. Say, I was gonna say, we're we not talking about the game of football. Like this is what we ask. Yeah, I'm saying, like I'm saying, you 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 pay those guys a lot of money to protect whichever of these quarterbacks you're gonna put out there. They don't have time to be the mascot too. <laughs> Listen, all those XFL, AFL team rosters, somebody could be a mascot. But anyways, what's your next quote? All right, here's my next quote. I don't know who he is. And anybody who comments on it, unless I know who they are, it doesn't really affect me. Brandon, is that NBA head coach Tom Thibodeau or New York Giants defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau? By the way, I didn't realize their last names are spelled exactly the same, except Kayvon's has an X. Exactly, exactly the same. You just add X. Wow. I double checked it like four times. I was amazed. I'm not. It's one of those that like, I believe you because you're saying it as a fact, but I don't believe you because it's unbelievable. Also, I think Kayvon's is pronounced Thibodeau and Tom's is pronounced Thibodeau, but I always Mm. go back and forth and get it wrong on Tibbs. So I just call him Tibbs. Thibodeau. But either way, who said it? <laughs> it was Kayvon. Yes, it was Kayvon Thibodeau. This was uh, in response to the criticism of Jeff Saturday uh, for his sack celebration next to the injured Nick Foles this past weekend in their game. Kayvon Thibodeau came in, delivered a hit, started doing snow angels next to Nick Foles, who was on the ground writhing in pain. He did it for a really long time, and it prompted Jeff Saturday, interim head coach for the Colts, to say it was tasteless from the celebration afterward, just trash, not a fan of it all. Kayvon Thibodeau, I want to read the full statement, though, because it's incredible, where he says, who's the gatekeeper of when to do something? Once we figure out who the gatekeeper is, then we can write the rules, and then we can establish the narrative and things like that. Until you guys are actually in the sport and do it and be in that moment, you can't create the narrative on it. And the best part is, after he said that, that's when one of the guys in the media goes, we didn't create the narrative. The head coach of the team you played said it, and he played in the NFL. And that was when Kayvon doubled down and said, I don't know who that is. Brandon, my theory is... Kayvon knows who that is. He was digging his heels in. That man was doing everything he could to dodge and parry away from just having to say two words and my bad and be done with this. That man was decided that he was not wrong. He was not going to broach something even remotely close to an apology. And if he had to deny knowing who Jeff Saturday was, then he was going to go all the way on that. That's commitment to the bit. I, I, I hear you. That's a good theory. But for the first round draft pick for the New York Giants who started the season off injured he has a little flash to him and is doing well in the end of the season 
He's got too much going on to worry about who's the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts are. I, I don't. I think he may not know who Jeff Saturday is. No, I'm saying he might not. He might not have known he was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, but he absolutely. I would think he knows who Jeff Saturday is. Okay, I don't know. I, I don't and, Matt, like. I understand he's a young person. I think someone did the math, and he was like twelve when Jeff Saturday either retired or something else. But Ooh. you know, Jeff's also like been on TV in the meantime. Between then, yeah. there's a lot of play. And I get Kayvon's a worldly man. And again, this all could have been simply solved by going, yeah, you know, my bad. Probably shouldn't have done right, that that right. long if he was injured. It, it really because it's not that big a deal. My biggest criticism too: doing snow angels without snow, not that cool of a celebration. Doesn't do it for me. No, especially not when you're like you're already on the ground because you sacked the person. So like it, he didn't even like get up and lay back down. He just kind of rolled over. Yeah, and and did snow angels for a good ten to fifteen seconds. Really uncomfortably long. Yeah, and especially yeah. once he looked over and saw Nick Foles still there. That's the point where you go, yeah, you know what? Shouldn't have done that because the simple my bad solves a lot of problems here, but it gave us this great soundbite. Yes, yes, great soundbite, great sound. Okay. Here's a great soundbite. My last quote. My dream was to play for this team before he was a Raider. Obviously. At this point, I want to try to make things work and continue to do and continue doing what I'm doing here. Okay? Was that infamous rat catcher and borough master of the filthiest community in the world, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, or Infamous pass catcher and new single season record receiving record holder for the Raiders, Devontae Adams. I can't believe that you resorted to Kelly Clarkson and you had this in your hip pocket. Like, this is incredible. The levels to that. And you simultaneously had to stoop to that bullshit before. I'm amazed. <laughs> Rats are going to be furious. The rats don't run this city. We do. <laughs> so, who? Uh, Devontae Adams, uh, Raiders yes, pass yes, catcher. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, and is this in reference to, uh, I guess, Derek Carr uh, being sat down for the remainder of the season? Well, you know what, Mike? I'm glad you asked because I have the, the article pulled up right here uh, before even mentioning that. He wanted to – he was asked about his future with, as, with the Raiders, with Derek Carr's future clearly up in the air. Uh, obviously, he was benched. We remember that. Uh, this time, last time in Dragon Ball Z. But Devontae Adams said this, I wouldn't have ended up here originally if Derek wasn't here. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I won't be here in the event that he's not here. That's my boy. I've got his back through everything. I think I've made that clear at this point. And I support him in everything moving forward. I do will I will say Devontae Adams did come out and put out quite a statement last week supporting Derek Carr. Like he definitely did have his back. He's 100% right about that. He's had his back for a long time. They play basketball together. Like they text on a normal basis. Like when I hear about their relationship, I was like, oh, this sounds like Mike and I in the sense of like they just really enjoy each other and they talk to each other a lot. Like, but when it comes to Devontae Adams being a Raider, seems like he can get shit done with Jared Stidham. Yeah, I mean, and they're paying him shit tons of money and a contract sure. that he just yes. started. So that's, you know, yes. that's how contracts work, too. Right, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> that's how they work. I wonder if playing basketball with Devontae Adams is going to be tough. He's got those sharp-ass elbows. Oh, he says in the, uh, the quote I heard, or the video I saw, Derek Carr said he, like, he just like tries to posterize people, and he's very athletic and can do so. Yeah, no, that all, that all tracks. 
That all tracks. I believe him. Um, all right, Brandon, here's my last quote. Okay. Tell me you don't get the sports culture without telling me you don't get the sports culture. Is that the 13-person college football playoff committee or the, I believe, 20-person college football sickos committee? Tell me you don't understand college culture without telling me you don't understand college culture. Tell me you don't get the sports culture mm, possessive. Okay. So sports apo- sport apostrophe S, the possessive, without telling me you don't get the sports culture. I think I think it's it's the college football committee. The playoff committee? Is that yes? Uh no, this is the sickos committee. <laughs> okay, what is what, okay, explain. So this is in response to a bit of news that started going viral yesterday on God's internet that apparently at the college football playoff national championship at SoFi Stadium in Southern California, there will be no tailgating allowed. On a memo sent out to people that would be going to the game, it said on-site parking for the championship will be limited, select number of $75 digital permits for automobiles, $200 for buses plus processing fees, and in the bullet points underneath, it said tailgating will not be allowed in any SoFi Stadium parking lot, as well as RVs and recreational vehicles will not be allowed to park at SoFi for the 2023 National Championship game. Brandon, a college football game without RVs and and tailgating is not a college football game at all. And I don't expect to know how they plan to pull this off or why they're trying. Okay, I am of the public that is very surprised that they allow people to tailgate at the national championship. That's a normal thing. I I have searched far and wide to see if there is any precedent for this. And I have not seen a dissenting voice. Really? Now, usually... The tailgate can also look like a lot of these places will set up a fan fest and a lot of activity right. for people to be catered around there. Event. Yeah, catered events around there and right. whatnot, what have you. But I would shudder to think that in places like New Orleans where this has been held before or others, that tailgating has not been allowed in those spots. And it's not like tailgating isn't allowed for professional football games there. Apparently there's a pink lot where people can tailgate most normally, and even that's not available in this game. I like it. I don't like it because it feels like it's L.A. culture for forcing college football culture to get an Uber. But I like the – I like the. we talked about it in the last episode – I like the clean, button-up nature of the NFL. This feels very like this feels like. But that's don't, not don't the leave NFL. Your trash, don't leave your trash on the floor in our stadium. Go inside and buy a sandwich like a human. Fuck that. <laughs> that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Okay, it's fine. Like then you just shouldn't host more college football games. It's that simple. And, and they might not. I don't actually. I don't know about myself. It seems like that should be held. In this their is world this anyways. is also like something that should be told why a while before. Like the fact that this is just coming out now is like when people went over for the World Cup and found out right. they're not serving beer all of a sudden. Yes, yeah. That, that, well, that we they knew that in advance though too, right? No, that was told to them like days before. It was a huge headline and it was bad. So, 
Boo you, SoFi. You're a lovely place to watch a game, and I'm excited to go there Monday. But boo. And you know what? TCU and Georgia fans, just go try. How are they going to stop all of you? They can't. Roll up in a fleet of RVs like it's goddamn... Um, why am I blanking on the movie right now? What's the movie that uh, the deserted wasteland, post-apocalyptic? Um, oh, Mad, Mad Max. Max. Yeah, roll yes. up like it's roll up like it's Mad Max. Have someone in a Georgia bulldog spike pads playing an electric guitar on the hood of a semi, Ooh. rolling up to the stadium, and then bar- barge your way in. Go ahead, tell them Mike sent you. Don't do that. I didn't authorize that. It's also National Boulevard Day today. So, oh my god. <laughs> That is who's who. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk to NFL analyst over at Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz, about Week 18 and the NFL playoff picture next. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, heading into the home stretch of the NFL season. Excited to talk to our good friend Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. You can check uh, him and the fine folks over there doing great work. Um, We told you about the Almanac going into the season, the Bible. For those of you that want to get smarter about football, you can still check out footballoutsiders.com and get yourself smart as we get ready for the postseason. Aaron, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. You know, I mean, with an asterisk, right? Obviously, this has been a very strange week to cover the NFL. We've had other things on our minds other than just the games for next week and who's going to make the playoffs. You know, other than that, everything in my life is going well. But obviously, it's a strange week. Yeah, it's a a very difficult week for everyone trying to figure out coming off of Monday Night Football, when and how do we start talking about a weekend of games that are going to happen? And, you know, Aaron, factoring in a postseason that is absolutely going to involve both teams that were unfortunately in the Monday Night Football game where we saw what happened with DeMar Hamlin. So... Uh, very difficult to try and pick up the pieces and look forward towards this, but we will try and do just that. And I'm sure for you guys trying to factor all of this in and how you go about gauging what happens in week 18 and beyond becomes increasingly difficult with that as well. 
Yeah, this, I think the closest thing to this must be what it was like to cover uh, baseball after the World Series earthquake mm. in 1989. Because obviously, after the earthquake, the number one thing on everyone's mind was the tragedy, the deaths, you know, collapsing highways, all that stuff was the number one thing on everyone's mind. But you had the knowledge that eventually you had to get to the rest of the World Series. So if you wrote about baseball for a living, you had to write about when was the World Series going to happen. It's just it took, you know, you, you had other stuff on your mind. And I think the same goes for this. We know there's going to be a week 18. We know there's going to be a playoffs. We need to talk about that because that's what we do for a living. But obviously, the Hamlin situation is foremost in our minds right now. It is, and I think you saw a lot of the sensitivity to that and the immediacy after where some people were looking to maybe talk about the football portion of this and the ramifications far too quickly as now we're still waiting for the good news on the other side of this, that DeMar Hamlin is going to be okay. We're all still praying and hoping for that. But as we get further and further away from the immediacy, I think as people start to gently approach what's coming next, and I've seen a lot of sincerity in that. I've seen a lot of people acknowledging the important thing before very delicately and very separately talking about what's going on this upcoming weekend and beyond. So we'll try and do the same here as we talk about this upcoming weekend, you know, fully acknowledging that for a lot of the players involved, we've heard from a number of coaches as well during their media availability that this week, that people's minds are going to be elsewhere. But um, Aaron, let's look at week 18 and, and how it sets up for the postseason. I kind of want to start off at the top and work our way back a bit. As we look at the playoff field, so much of which is set at this point for you guys. And for anyone unfamiliar, uh, DVOA is the metric that you guys use in the ranking system there. Breaks down every single play, compares teams' performances on a league average based on the situation, and determines that value over average. Am I explaining that uh, well enough to do DVOA yeah, justice? Yeah, adjusted for situation and opponent. Yep. Yep. So it, it, it really uh, an incredible efficiency metric here. As you look at the way that you guys rank all this, is there an upper crust that we have right now at the top among Super Bowl contenders where there's a group of teams and then a severe drop-off to who comes after that? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has the same upper crust. Our upper crust just looks slightly different, right? Everybody has, there's six teams that are this year's big six. Buffalo and Cincinnati and Kansas City in the AFC. Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas in the NFC. Now, our numbers would say if Lamar Jackson is healthy, the Baltimore Ravens belong in that group. They were in that group before Jackson got hurt. Their defense has actually played better in recent weeks than it did early in the season. Their special teams are still number two in the league. But if Jackson is not 100% healthy or Jackson is not playing at all, they don't belong in that group. Yeah, and uh, God, that's been the, the factor and the variable that's hardest to predict. And right now, I think in, in a lot of ways, we're sitting around – for a lot of these games, reading injury reports, finding out who's going on IR and how it's going to affect that. I do want to stick in the AFC North for a second because you mentioned the Bengals in that grouping. We've seen another one of these late back half of the season surges where this team has started to put together. How does this year's Bengals team compare to last year's Bengals team that made the Super Bowl run? 
I mean, they're better. By our numbers, they're just a lot better, right? Last year, we actually had the Bengals, by our numbers, as pretty much an average team. Some things fell right for them, so they went 10-7, and and they won their division. And then they went on a nice run in the playoffs. But in the regular season, they were really just an average team. This year, they're not an average team. They are better than last year on defense. They are better than last year on offense, even with Jamar Chase missing a few games. Like, this is the team that the Bengals have been trying to build. Last year, they sort of stumbled their way to the Super Bowl, not having really built the full team, you know, not having fully matured yet. This is like the fully matured Bengals this year. Yeah, I remember saying at the end of last year as we watched them complete this with essentially no offensive line that this is probably as bad as the Bengals were going to be on the field for a while even if the record didn't reflect it once they went out and spent that money to improve the glaring weakness on that roster and we've seen kind of the ripple effect all across the board uh, for them. The Kansas City Chiefs are another really interesting team to me because They've maintained their status as one of the league's elite offenses after going through a major change with the departure of Tyreek Hill and how they've operated in that offense. I've seen that you know there's been a huge uptick in their use of multiple tight end sets this season. And so how do we gauge this Kansas City team versus what they've been under Patrick Mahomes since he took over as the starter? Well, I mean, they're the number one offense in the league again. By our numbers, by any advanced metric, Kansas City has the number one offense. In fact, Other advanced metrics actually have Kansas City's offense even higher than we do. But the difference has to do with like third downs earlier in the season. And since like week seven, we have them about the same place as other metrics, whatever. Best offense in the league. The defense has not been good. I mean, we have the defense 23rd in the league, which is not terrible, but it's not good. But the offense is so good that it makes them overall an excellent team. And, you know, offense, we talk about this a lot with analytics. Offense is more predictable than defense. You'd rather depend on offense than, you know, yes, teams can go on defensive runs in the playoffs, but in for the most part, offense is more predictable, and we know Kansas City has the best offense in the league. Offense wins championships. I can hear people shuddering in their cars right now. Yeah, it's more trustworthy. Sometimes defense does win championships, but you can trust offense more. Listen, as a former offensive player, you're not going to get any argument from me on that one. Um, Aaron, on the other side with the NFC, I noticed one name conspicuously absent from the grouping there, despite where they sit in the playoff uh, rankings right now. Last year, we had an historically bad one seed in the AFC with the Tennessee Titans. How historically poor are we talking about for the Minnesota Vikings as a play as a playoff team this year? This Vikings year is absolutely bonkers. And I will fully admit we have them a little bit lower than other advanced metrics. And I think a big reason for that is that we only incorporate some penalties in DVOA and Minnesota is has a very big penalty differential this year where their opponents have a lot of penalties. And they have very few penalties. But overall, we have Minnesota, despite the 12-4 and record, 28th in the league. And even if you think we're a little wrong about them, so yeah, give them a few spots, then they'd be like 23rd in the league. Like they still, they are not just like the worst 12-4 and team ever. They are actually on the list of the lowest DVOA ever for a playoff team going all the way back to 1981. 
uh, unless they clobber Chicago this week, which they might because Chicago just announced that Nathan Peterman is going to be their starting quarterback. But unless they clobber Chicago, they will be one of the 10 lowest rated playoff teams we've ever measured. It's really crazy. And with this team, a lot of people, when they look at the Vikings and their failings, it's usually just a Kirk Cousins conversation, whether that's the primetime narrative or whether that's him relative to what his paycheck has been here. But this just seems to be a Vikings team that has no earthly interest in playing defense this year, correct? Here's the thing about the Vikings. There's no way in which they stand out as being really bad. There's nothing about this team that's really, really bad. Basically, if you look at the stats, not the results, not the wins and losses, everything about this team is just below average, except they have the best wide receiver in the game. But everything else, run defense, pass defense, special teams, the running game, passing to any other receivers, right? Cousins' performance overall. None of it is like the worst in the league, but it's all bad. God, a uh, ringing endorsement for Minnesota walking into this postseason here. <laughs> I'm sorry. It feel, look, and it, you know, they still have a chance. That's what's wild. You know, I'm going to get cooked if they, like, actually win the Super Bowl. But, um, I mean, there's never been a team to this extent. But the 2003 Carolina Panthers were sort of similar, mm. just not to the same extent. And that team came within two minutes of winning the Super Bowl. So anything is possible. So uh, let's stick in the NFC then because one team that you guys are very high on here but that I think fans, the general public, always have questions about are the Dallas Cowboys. And we've seen for them this year so much run defense has come up time and time again. How much should that worry people? How much does that worry you when you look at this team heading into the postseason, especially in this year's NFC? I don't think their run defense is particularly bad. It's just been worse in recent weeks. We actually have it fifth for the whole season, but it's been worse in recent weeks. Their offense is the the problem, actually. Their, Their defense is really good. Their defense is really good against the pass and really good against the run. We have them number two right now in defense. Their offense, we have 14. And yeah, that includes a couple of Cooper Rush weeks. But even if you only look at the Dak Prescott weeks, they're like 10th or 11th. That's still above average. But if you said, what's the weakness of the Dallas Cowboys? I would not say the run defense as much as I would say the passing game. In particular, I I feel like, you know, finding someone other than C.D. Lamb. I mean, Schultz is good and Gallup is good and Noah Brown has made some plays. But... You know, it's between finding the other receivers and the just mistakes that Prescott has made. He, he does has thrown a lot of interceptions, and uh, and that is a you know that is a problem. So, how worried should that team be then about a potential trip to Tampa if current seating holds? Like, is this Buccaneers team that gave us one little hit of the good stuff with this passing attack from last week against the Panthers now all of a sudden somebody that could have the Cowboys on upset alert? Well, if you're worried about the Cowboys' run defense, do not be worried about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are close to the worst running game in the league this year. The offensive line injuries that they've had have really just taken their running game out at the knees. So, I mean, you know, you're worried about going to Tampa because it's a road game and because it's Brady. But if you're, you know, Dallas, you would much rather play Tampa than San Francisco. Minnesota is a complicated discussion, but... Uh, you know, I mean, 
Dallas is the better team, and Dallas should be favored. I would think Dallas will be favored to win in Tampa Bay. You mentioned San Francisco. Uh, that team and that defense has been an unholy wrecking ball. They are a terror for anyone that has to face them. And offensively, they've managed to absorb quarterback injury all year long really well. As you guys look at this team under Brock Purdy, still more than capable of winning a Super Bowl? Like, that's not an issue oh, yeah. with Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback? I mean, we have a, we have two different kinds of DVOA. We have the full season rating, and then we have a rating we call weighted, which gives less weight to games early in the season. In the weighted rating, San Francisco is the best team in the league right now. Like, even with Purdy on offense for a few games. Like, their offense has been that successful even without Samuel. Their defense has been that good overall. If you take out, in particular, that week one game in a monsoon against the Chicago Bears, like they've been the best team in the league. So they are absolutely in this, like despite the fact that Purdy's the quarterback. It'll be a wild story if they win this thing with Purdy at quarterback. But it is, I mean, it feels a little bit like Brady in 2001, right? I mean, Brady was a second-year player, not first, and sixth round, not seventh. But, you know, that team in 2001 – one with defense and special teams, and Brady was surprisingly mistake-free for a young kid, right? He wasn't Brady yet in 2001, right? If, if the San Francisco 49ers win it all this year, it'll be a very similar scenario for them, except they will have dominated the regular season much more than the 2001 Patriots did. Man, this is a real glitch in the matrix situation right here, especially since it involves the San Francisco team that's obviously also had a special place in the uh, Tom Brady narrative. So uh, uh, very, very There's still some people who think Brady may go there next year. Right? There's still some talk that he might be the quarterback in San Francisco next year, that they may decide Purdy's not the guy, Lance is not the guy, like let's go get someone who's a known quantity and he would come home to his hometown team. There is some discussion of that. Uh, the 45-year-old free agent here in more ways than one. What an interesting year for Tom Brady. Um, Aaron, one of my favorite things and one of our favorite things is like a general media full of gas baggers is the team nobody wants to see in the postseason, late-charging team that got there. Is there a team for you that kind of falls into that category? I look at, you know, the Chargers because they've got Herbert and a defense and a team in general that's getting a little healthier in some key areas down the stretch. Jacksonville working their way into the postseason potentially with that win and in scenario versus Tennessee this weekend. Do you have a different team in mind or do one of those fall into that category? I mean, the first team that came to mind to me was the Green Bay Packers, but for a similar reason, because they have a quarterback. The difference being their quarterback is not as good, has not been as good this year as Herbert and Lawrence, but has the track record to, you know, be worried about him. And you don't want to be on the other side when Green Bay beats you and Aaron Rodgers gets smug. That being said, (laughs) they're probably playing San Francisco in the first round, and we know the Packers have this history of San Francisco running all over them. Like San Francisco is absolutely the team Green Bay does not want to play in the first round. And that's probably who they're going to play. So I I guess that brings it to the key element here then is 
well, one, can we trust either of the old guys? It sounds like based on our conversation between Brady and Rodgers that while we've gotten some versions, some flashes of the guys that have been dominant in this league for so long that matchup-wise are just where these teams are this season, trusting either of these guys for a long postseason run, probably not in the cards. I trust Brady a little bit more than Rodgers based on their performance during the year. But the Tampa offense has been declining a little bit, whereas the Green Bay offense has been getting a little bit better, like healthier at offensive line, for example, healthier at receiver. So I think going forward, I trust the Green Bay offense a little bit more than the Tampa Bay offense. But, I mean, they could both do something, but they're just not – they just haven't been as good this year as the young guns and their defenses. Tampa Bay's defense is better than Green Bay's defense, but like their defenses haven't been as good as the defenses of the other NFC contenders. Like that's the biggest difference to me is actually San Francisco, Dallas and Philly on defense are much better than Green Bay and Tampa. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And I think for Green Bay, uh, a lot of people are going to coast off that high from last week. Ignoring what you just mentioned, that this is a Minnesota offense that outside of one part is largely average to below average, and so going out there and strapping them up shouldn't necessarily inspire as much confidence as I feel like it is, but that feels more like a Aaron Rodgers lives here thing, and we knew the Packers were supposed to be talented before the season than actual market improvement from them on that side of the ball. I think if they want to be, if Green Bay fans want to be excited about last week, be excited about the fact that you figured out a way to scheme to shut Justin Jefferson down. We have a film room column on it up right now at Football Outsiders by Derek Klassen. Like they used brackets and they used cloud coverage and they redirected him at the line. And basically Jefferson had his worst game in a couple of years. And so that should give you confidence that, you know, maybe our defensive coordinator is better than we thought he was when it comes to figuring out how to design a defense to stop our opponent. Yeah, Packers Sports Talk radio hosts are probably have a bunch of callers that would disagree on that front, but you're right. I have a feeling they <laughs> um, Last one up top, and then we'll ask the wild card questions here. The Eagles, um, with a less than 100% Jalen Hurts coming into this postseason, how concerning is that despite the fact that we've sang the praises all year of the roster that Howie and company have built up around that armored car on both sides of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I love the Eagles. Remember, they were my NFC Super Bowl pick before the season. Uh, but I, I just don't know how less than 100% Hurts is. That's the tough part about trying to predict what's going on with the Eagles. Like, they really need the bye week to get Hurts healthier, to get Lane Johnson healthier. Like, like it would be bad for them if they blew this bye week. They need the bye week. Yeah, in the in the worst way, which ironically could mean getting less than 100% Jalen Hurts onto the field to secure that since we saw the Minshew Mania magic may have run out a little bit here quick, quicker than expected uh, from those of us that enjoyed the mustache menace. But um, Aaron, let's look at this weekend. The big conversation is going to be about the wild card on both sides. So let's start with the NFC. Um, that Green Bay and Detroit game flexed to Sunday night. So a lot of that interesting because the Seattle result earlier in the day affects what the Lions' chances are here. As you guys look at and stack up this last NFC wildcard spot, who do you think ultimately ends up finding their way in? 
I mean, in our simulations, we have Green Bay making it a little over half the time, right? Because you figure their game against Detroit is pretty 50-50. Detroit's been the slightly better team in recent weeks, but I think the game is in Green Bay, I believe, right? Yep. Uh, So it's kind of 50-50. If they lose, I mean, Seattle should beat the Rams, are likely to beat the Rams. There is this feeling that the Rams sort of have Seattle's number, because the Rams beat Seattle twice last year. And then earlier this year, I think Seattle only won with a last-minute touchdown against a bad Rams team that they should have beaten by more than that. So there's this feeling, you know, maybe the Rams do upset the Seahawks. But it's most likely going to be either the Packers or the Seahawks. Then on the other side here, the AFC, we've got Dolphins, Pats, and because on the strength of Mike Tomlin magic, the Pittsburgh Steelers still potentially alive in this. Who ends up making it out of this hellscape? Well, here's where I think we have the emotional complication that we do have to address, which is we have no idea whether Buffalo will go into this game completely mentally unprepared to play yeah. or possibly com- like very inspired. Yeah to play for their teammate or something sort of normal in between. If it's normal in between or the Bills are super inspired, the fact is not only are the Bills a much better team than the Patriots, it's a particularly bad matchup for the Patriots, right? We talk about certain matchups that just aren't very good for certain teams, right? Like we just did with the Rams and Seahawks. The Bills are a terrible matchup for the Patriots. It is really hard to see the Patriots beating the Bills unless the Bills are just completely emotionally distracted. So if the Patriots make it in, they probably make it in on the bank shot where Cleveland upsets Pittsburgh, the Jets upset Miami, Jacksonville wins the AFC South, and then the Patriots get in at 8-9, and nine, which is possible. It is possible. I'm, You know, I do think... You worry about teams that have nothing left to play for, but there is a surprisingly strong record of teams that can keep another team out of the playoffs don't lay down in the final week. The best example I always will give of this is 2004, when all the Bills had to do was beat the Pittsburgh backups to make the playoffs. And the Pittsburgh backups played hard enough to beat the Bills and keep them out of the playoffs. So if that is possible, then it's certainly possible for the Cleveland starters or the Jets starters to play good enough to win these games. So while the Dolphins are the most likely team to win the seventh seed, um, it really is sort of, we have it at 40% Miami, 32% the Patriots, 23% Pittsburgh and 5% Jacksonville. It, it could go anyway. It probably will not go to Jacksonville because Jacksonville is probably going to just win the AFC South. Yeah, that would be the expectation going into this weekend here. Uh, Josh Dobbs, again, getting the start for Tennessee and a team that struggled mightily. So it makes sense. But like you said, there's a lot of very exciting things to pay attention to this weekend. We're always in contract bonus season as well. So plenty of interesting stuff to keep an eye out on here. Guys, uh, footballoutsiders.com, check it out. All this great information, Aaron Schatz and the crew over there making you smarter as we head into the postseason stretch here. Aaron, we appreciate your time, man. We're excited to see you out in uh, Arizona for the Super Bowl and uh, catch up a little more there. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to a good playoffs. And, uh, yeah, see you in Phoenix. 
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Brandon, uh, you heard in there uh, some mention of the Miami Dolphins, which reminded me we need to issue a formal public apology. I don't know if you saw this, but in the New York Post, we got aggregated. Um, yes, we got aggregated in a in a good way. Okay. Um, it was in an article titled, Katie Nolan announces engagement to comedian Dan Soder. <laughs> yes! And we made the post, baby. The sports it, media this, personality cu- announced her engagement during Friday's appearance on the Gojo show with Mike Golick Jr. Um, <laughs> I want to say, because immediately after we posted that clip, Please attribute the first reporting of this to the All Fantasy Everything podcast with Ian Carmel and company over there. And I will not stand for this erasure here. We posted the video online, but she went on and talked about it on that podcast first. And shame on the post for not digging deeper and doing their homework on that because they would have seen that if they had consulted my tweets. <sighs> yes, Mike, but if they did, they also wouldn't have attributed the entire thing to us and we wouldn't have made the, the New York Post. So you got to kind of think about, you know, any press is good press, in my opinion. Yes, we made a mistake, but no one hears the apology, but we are sorry. We are sorry. And I care deeply yes. about the All Fantasy Everything podcast. They have kept me company on many a road trip. So I will not be a part of this. Thank you for the pub, New York Post. But I will not be a part of this. And All Fantasy Everything deserves a lot of credit, as does Katie Nolan for act- and Dan for, for being the people who actually do it. Right. Of Thanks. course. Checks in the mail. Uh, all right, Brandon. That being said, you know what time it is. Uh, or rather, I should ask you, do you know oh, what time shit. it is? Dang, Mike. I am. I am. But let me get ready. And all you'd ever hear me say Is how I pictured me with you That's all you'd ever hear me say But this, that, and the third I can't breathe for the first time I'm so moving on Thanks to this, now I die. I died in the third since you've been gone. So that's why you put Kelly Clarkson in the quote game. <laughs> wow. Or, or, or you changed. kaleidoscope, which came first. <laughs> Wait, kaleidoscope. That that Netflix TV series where, like, you don't know which episode's first and it gets changed up. That's a really obscure reference instead of just saying chicken of the egg. (laughs) Uh, That's true. Obscure reference is a a good tagline for me. 
As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us that five-star rating and a review. Tell Brandon what a great job he did weaving levels uh, and kaleidoscoping us on today's This, That, and The Third. Um, Brandon, let's get to this, which is the insane story out of U.S. men's soccer that just came out the other day where apparently Danielle and Claudio Reyna, the parents of U.S. men's national team and international star Gio Reyna, tried to extort U.S. men's national team coach Greg Berhalter using a past domestic violence incident between him and his now wife because they were frustrated by their son's playing time and treatment surrounding this year's World Cup. So going all the way back to the beginning, uh, Claudio Reyna, the current director of Austin FC, and Greg Berhalter played youth and high school soccer together and then overlapped on the U.S. national team from 1994 to 2006. Danielle Reyna, Gio's mom, and Rosalinda Berhalter, the wife of uh, of, uh, of Craig, or Greg Berhalter here, were four-year teammates at the University of North Carolina. So they have known these people since they were in college and then decided to use the information about this prior assault uh, domestic violence incident from when they were in college or when uh, Greg and his wife first met to extort this man because of how they felt their son was being treated. Like Brandon, first and foremost, domestic violence, bad. No matter how yes. long ago it was, bad. Like Obviously, yes. uh, I hope people take that away from this. Greg Berhalter came out, by the way, when rumblings of this started and put out a statement of his own, explained the event, went back and talked about it. It was when him and his wife first started dating. They got into an argument inside a bar, went outside of the bar, and he kicked her in the legs. He talked about how that was a changing foundational moment in his life, how he showed it to his kids, or he talked about it with his kids and explained that. And he and his wife have now been together decades doesn't change the fact that it was bad when it happened. But Brandon, right. for these people that he has known, him and his wife, for a long time to go out and do this because they didn't like how their son was being treated is so deeply unserious. And coming off of what had been, I thought, a lot of good feeling around the U.S. men's national team program right. for the first time in a while after this World Cup, what an embarrassing showcase for everybody involved. It just seems like a very it's, it's soccer mom saga drama taken to the umpteenth level because these people are family friends. Like these are, uh, I imagine Christmas cards are being uh, sent left and right. Like these people know each other intimately and to bring up, obviously, like we said, bad, like you said, bad domestic violence, always bad, but to bring up this incident in retaliation right. to how their son is being talked about based on how their son is allegedly acting and allegedly acted on that national men's national team. It just, it's just very, very messy and it doesn't seem like there's any real through line or agenda items like well, just dirty up the names. Now everyone's name's dirty. Right. And that's exactly it. You're right. Because these were this was something that was held and then used for this purpose, which you're right, feels incredibly little league sports and parents being upset with a coach about the playing time for their son or daughter. And to have and again, for anyone that did not remember it, Greg Berhalter after the World Cup was talking 
at a social summit on moral leadership in New York talking about how a player he didn't name was nearly sent home from the World Cup for not meeting expectations. That coincided with everyone being perplexed why Gio wasn't playing more in the World Cup. It was one of the biggest storylines for the men's national team in there. And so this family decided that this was the time and this was how they were going to use that information is just, again, deeply disappointing, deeply embarrassing for U.S. soccer and something that I don't know how you recover from this when this is now in the immediacy what people are going to think of you and think of when they talk about this program. As we said, coming off a time where feelings had been good, utterly embarrassing, uh, Everyone involved looks terrible, and now this is the face of U.S. men's soccer for the moment, and that is sad for all of us who enjoyed watching this team during the World Cup. Uh, so, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In the no easy transitions world, uh, Brandon, we will now try and take a breath and move on to that as we... Look at the finalists for the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame. And man, this is a doozy. Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Dwight Freeney, Jared Allen, Patrick Willis, Demarcus Ware, Zach Thomas, Darren Woodson, Rondé Barber, Albert uh, Lewis, and Willie Anderson. Mike, they're going to let Zach Thomas in? That amongst the rest of Dwight Freeney is a six foot is a is a king amongst people six foot and six one, which is where I'm at. Man, uh, this this whole crew, this is our. I thought last year was our 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 childhood getting inducted. This, this is this is the one that makes you feel old. Yeah, cause, what's the you have to be out x amount of years five to even five be, five years to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. You have to have officially retired five years ago. But like Darrell Revis should obviously be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Joe Thomas should obviously be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I I tell you what, I don't know if he's going to get on the first ballot. Devin Hester's a Hall of Famer. Like I know, I know like return specialist and there's always some question about, you know, specialist in general on this. There's no question about Devin Hester. That man was a legitimate weapon every time he touched the football. Uh, uh, speaking of Tory Holt, like I, I know that the the greatest show on turf and all the things that was going on with the Rams was kind of split between he and Isaac Bruce, who has his own argument for being enshrined in someone's Hall of Fame. But Tory Holt was that man too, and I don't know if he's a first ballot as much as like Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson. I feel like maybe are more of the wide receivers that are more. Uh, first ballot-y, well, but you never know who's going to make it first ballot. Yeah, I should say, I don't know if those guys are all on here for the first time. These are the finalists okay. here. This doesn't That's, necessarily okay, mean okay, everyone's okay. on the docket for the first ballot. Uh, just right. some of those guys are. But um, yeah, no, it, it's wide receiver is always a tricky one because there is a – we went through this with um, a while back with, I believe, uh, was it Randy Moss or T.O.? 
Uh, well, Tio, I guess, hasn't officially returned. I mean, yeah. Well, he has, but he was also he was also in and out of the the of Hall of Fame uh, drama. Oh yeah, I can say he was in the 2018 Hall of Fame class, but there was all that drama about him and voters at times trying to play you know moral police with guys they didn't like because To had the you know so many things and To's were really like. They were the things he did on the field. They were how big and loud and bright and boisterous he was and sit-ups in the driveway. Right. It was strange stuff there. So wide receiver is always tricky. Patrick Willis, though, man, that's the one I'm rooting for because him yeah, and Navarro man. Bowman and that 49ers linebacker core, I know the 49ers are sitting pretty right now. Fred Warner is sensational and certainly a guy tracking in that direction. But there was just something about Patrick Willis and that big bad MFer coming downhill and just sticking, folks. I thank you for the transition, but sticking, folks, because I love a Zach Thomas tackle, and I know Brian Urlacher is already sitting pretty in the Hall of Fame, and and you can break down the numbers, and everyone wants to do that, and I think Brian Urlacher, the only thing he's really uh, beaten Zach Thomas in is, is interceptions, uh, and obviously Zach Thomas had. Our good friend Joy Taylor's brother, Jason Taylor, with him on that defense with the Miami Dolphins. But it's good to see someone who was just such a good football player be recognized. I doubt if he gets in. I think he might be on the name a lot. He might be a finalist a couple more times but because everybody's hating. But, gosh, it was fun watching Zach Thomas and fun watching Rondé Barber. Like, these are all, like... Some are in the you just really era, loved, Some are in the NFL streets era. You just love like, caping for short guys. Oh, I got to cape for my short kings. Got to. All right. Anyone else? Brandon, let me cape for uh, the third here then, uh, because it's time okay. to explore a list of abundantly wealthy animals. Um, allaboutcats.com put together a list of the world's wealthiest and most influential pets. Now, you'll see very quickly why this list started to go viral, but essentially what they did was they analyzed the Instagram of pets who have the most followers, likes, and engagement rates and discovered the top 50 most influential pets. They also wanted to see how much these animals could make for their loving owners. They used the Instagram data to estimate how much each could make per Instagram post to discover who had the highest earners and the most influential influential cats or animals on the internet now that is not the case for all these animals because checking in at number one on the list the world's richest pet is gunther the sixth he is owned by gunther corporation who also manages the adults estate and fortune through real estate investments gunther's grandfather inherited a fortune of 80 million dollars back in 1992 gunther six now is worth $500 million. <laughs> Gunther was the... Um, his wealth comes from uh, the late German Countess Carlotta Leibenstein, who died in 92 and willed her entire $80 million fortune to her beloved dog, Gunther III, Gunther VI's grandfather. She didn't have children or close relatives, according to reports, and the humans who managed the dog's estate have worked it into a fortune of $500 million. I think he just sold a home in Miami for $29 million. That dog is breaded. The Gunther's headquarters is in the Bahamas. And it was founded in Pisa. That sounds like some rich person shit. Offshore accounts and whatnot. I hope Gun. I hope Gunther didn't endorse FTX. I mean, is Gunther traveling for these deals? Like, does the richest pet in America constantly on a plane? Like the richest person in America? I imagine is. 
I would imagine, like, yeah, he's got business to handle, man. I'm sure his paw prints needed on a lot of important documents. You think he watches like the Westminster and all these dog shows that happen? He's like, oh, have have him come. Yeah. Like like uh, Trump is like, I like that person. There's a winner. Bring him over. I love the idea of this dog just sitting home and watching <laughs> Mad Money all day. Um, by the way, the reason this list went viral at number three on the list, Taylor Swift's cat, Olivia Benson. Um, mm. She is Ooh, worth... What a, what a respectful name. Uh, she is worth a whopping $97 million. Uh, she, outside of just Instagram influencing, the Scottish Fold has earned her fortune starring alongside her owner in several music videos. She has her own merchandise line. She's had cameos and some big ads, including Diet Coke and Ned Sneakers. So... Uh, Olivia uh, Benson, uh, big ballin'. Olivia Benson, obviously named after Marishna Hargitay's character in Law and Order SVU, is uh, honestly it's the it's my favorite thing about Taylor Swift. I love that she has a cat named Olivia Benson. The list of these top earning animals, it has a column that gives species, pet, species, and earned or inherited. Mm, I mean, hey. You gotta let people know how they fell into it. Now, uh, I do want to give a shout out to the um, most influential and highest earning uh, animals. Number one on that list is Jif Palm, a Pomsky with almost uh, 10 million followers that is mm. worth uh, about $32,906 per post. Nala the Cat is second runner up. And then third on that list, Doug the Pug, 3.8 million followers, about $12,890 per post, and was kind enough to send me a copy of his book. Stop, Mike. He signed it. Mike, how do you have Doug the Pug's book? How did you know about Doug the Pug? Because I'm a pug enthusiast. Me and Doug are internet friends. We've DM'd before. He sent me this, and it's, look, the signature says, love you, bro, with his, with his signature. This has gone a place I had no idea it was going to go. Doug the Pug, I'm, the king of pop culture. Check out the book. Okay. I'll, I'll check it out next time I'm at your house. It's incredible. Thanks, Doug. Love you, buddy. We love and appreciate all of you, even if you are not an otherworldly rich animal. Uh, if you are here, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.